Good morning. Welcome to Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Bibb. A special warm welcome to any guests or visitors who may be joining us this day. Please know you're always welcome here at Trinity Lutheran Church. And we've now come to the second of three pre-Lent Sundays. This is a short pre-Lent season that we have here, also called Jesma Tide. And so today we are at Sexagesima Sunday, which means about 60 days from Easter. And so this follows a, a centuries-old tradition of getting ready for Lent, and that's what, what it is we're doing today. At this time, I'll turn your attention to the back of the bulletin where we have there printed a selection from Luther's small catechism as we continue to follow our midweek school students through their memory work that they are doing as part of learning the catechism and learning God's word this year. So then we continue with the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer. What is the conclusion to the Lord's Prayer? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. What does this mean? This means that I should be certain that these petitions are pleasing to our Father in heaven and are heard by him. For he himself has commanded us to pray in this way and has promised to hear us. Amen, amen means yes, yes, it shall be so. And if you like a little more guidance as to why these words are included along with the Lord's Prayer, we do have a selected question and an answer from Scripture there concerning those very words that we hear. And you see that those actually come straight from 1 Chronicles 29, 11, as well as other passages in Scripture. Turning our attention to the service proper, I'll have you open up your bulletin on the inside of the back cover there. We have that focused on Christ section, which is a summary of our readings in the service today. The sower sows the seed of his word. This word is living and powerful to conceive new life in those who hear it. But the planting of Christ is attacked by the devil, the world, and the flesh. Satan snatches the word away from hard hearts. The riches and pleasures of this life choke off faith. Shallow and emotional belief withers in time of temptation and trouble. But see how Christ bears this attack for us. Christ's cross was planted in the hard and rocky soil of Golgotha. A crown of thorns was placed upon his head. Satan and his demons hellishly hounded and devoured him, yet through his dying and rising again, he destroyed these enemies of ours. Jesus is himself the seed which fell to the ground and died in order that it might sprout forth to new life and produce much grain. In him the weak are strong. He is the word of the Father which does not return void, but yields a harvest a hundredfold. We do rejoice to receive the fruits of his cross, that is Christ's very own body and blood, as he gives it to us in and under bread and wine this day in the fellowship of this altar, in the unity of one confession. And it is in that unity that Christ bids us gather to receive his body and blood. Therefore, all those receiving the Lord's Supper this day, we ask be members either of this congregation or of a sister congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, joining us in that one common orthodox confession of the Christian faith. Our service this day is Divine Service Setting 1. As it begins on page 151, we now sing the first hymn. O God, the strength of all who put their trust in you, mercifully grant that by your power we may be defended against all adversity. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever.
The Old Testament reading for sexagesima is from Isaiah chapter 55. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from 2 Corinthians chapters 11 and 12. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often mere death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And a night, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from all and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I, am, I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This is the word of the Lord. 
The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 8th chapter. When a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to Jesus, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we are in week two of pre-Lent, or Jesmatide. Today is sexagesima, which means we're about 60 days from Easter, keeping that count going. Last week in our preparation for the journey of Lent, we heard about two things. God's grace, which we need, and grumbling, which can lead to unbelief and God's judgment. As we continue through the pre-Lent season, today we focus on God's Word, Scripture alone. This focus is most clearly heard in the beautiful Old Testament reading and the parable of the sower in the Gospel. It's important to note that just as grumbling can turn our hearts against God's grace, the seed of God's Word, it has enemies also. The devil, the world, and the sinful flesh. Therefore, let us turn our attention to what our Lord speaks to us today in His Word and gladly hear and learn it. For God's word is the seed of faith, which purifies our sinful hearts and roots us in Christ Jesus, our salvation. Now, as we continue in our preparations for the Lenten season, we know that we need God's grace in Christ. The undeserved gifts of forgiveness, eternal life, and salvation have been won by Christ on the cross and are given to us by the Holy Spirit in his chosen means, word, and sacrament. For our journey through Lent and our, indeed our whole lives as Christians, we need God's grace. And so also we need God's word, which brings to us and gives to us his grace. The prophet Isaiah teaches us profound things about God's word in the Old Testament reading today, saying, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word is inherently powerful. 
Nothing has to be added to God's word to make it effective. The old theological term is that it is efficacious. God's word does what it says it does. The preacher doesn't need some kind of anointing from the Holy Spirit. The people don't need to be brought into the right mood or right emotional state. Psychological or emotional manipulation cannot help God's word to achieve what he wants it to achieve. It's God's word. It is God talking. God does not God does what God does without any help from religious people with religious imaginations. As God teaches us through the prophet Isaiah, his word will accomplish what he pleases. It will prosper in the thing for which he sends it. Again, God's word is inherently powerful. And this is so very important for us to remember, dear saints, lest we believe that we have to add something to God's word or, heaven forbid, take something away from it in order to make it work. God's word does not need help from us to make it work. Now, hearing this teaching, it may make you wonder, well, then why do some believe and others don't? Why do some hear it, pay no attention to it whatsoever, and watch as the devil falsifies it in their mind, convincing them that it's just a lot of religious-sounding nonsense, suitable for nothing at all? And why do some people hear it, love it, rejoice in it, take it in enthusiastically, and then as soon as their faith is put to the test... They abandon it. They drop it as if it were a hot potato that's been thrown in their hands and they're afraid of getting burned. And why do some people hear it, believe it, hold on to it in sincere faith, and then as the cares, riches, and pleasures of life seize their attention and their concern, then their faith in Christ and trust in his word is slowly choked until it dies. The reason why is the devil, the world, and the sinful flesh. You see, in Jesus' parable, the devil is represented by the seed on the pathway where the birds of the air snatch it off the ground. Remember, dear saints, that the devil is called the prince of the power of the air by St. Paul in Ephesians 2, that imagery there then of the birds snatching the seed. The world is the rocky soil where the plant shoots up and then dies. And our sinful flesh, that is the thorns that choke the plant to death. Those who dismiss God's word as useless and of no benefit to them are those of whom Jesus is speaking when he says, seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. The Lord spoke to his prophet Isaiah, go and tell this people, keep on hearing but do not understand, keep on seeing but do not perceive, make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts. That from Isaiah chapter 6. The Bible says that God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We hear that in 1 Timothy 2. The Bible also teaches that God punishes unbelief with more unbelief. That from Exodus 20. Think about what it takes to make good soil good soil. It must be plowed. It must be cut open. The plow digs down, it breaks. The land feels no pain, but oh, our hearts do. Our feelings are hurt. You see, spiritually speaking, we're all a bunch of three-year-olds. We're the center of our world. What makes us feel good is good. What makes us feel bad is bad. If our feelings are hurt, the one who hurt them, well, they're accountable. Since we're the center of the universe, what we feel is the standard of right and wrong for the whole wide world. And Lord have mercy, do we see that on full display each and every day in 2024. That's the seed implanted in our hearts by the devil. 
It's the standard he proposed to Adam and Eve in paradise, and by winning their hearts to his lie, led them and their descendants into sin and death. His question, did God actually say, remains, continues to echo around the world. He asks, and we listen to his question. We question God's word, we doubt it, and so the soil hardens and the seed is left upon the path where the birds of the air see it and eat it. The rocky soil that keeps the root from growing and the thorny ground where the young plant is choked are also the result of the lie that is implied in the devil's question, did God actually say? That lie in question must be silenced for the deceptive lie that it is. God responds to that lying question. He plows. The plow cuts deep into your hearts and into mine. God's law cuts. That's what it does. It shows that I am wrong. It shows what I have done wrong. It shows that I have no excuse. It shows that I deserve to be punished. I want to be right. I want the praise of the world. I want God's approval. But the plow cuts into my heart and tells me what I want is not what I'm going to get. The law reveals that I'm wrong. Now, nobody ever became a Christian by the preaching of the law. The law kills. It's what it does. It cannot give life. But when God's law is silenced, when right and wrong are no longer right and wrong, the plow is dulled into uselessness. And again, my goodness, do we see this playing out in our culture. Unless we understand how we have failed to love God above all things and how we have failed to love our neighbors as ourselves, and not just as some sort of abstract theological construct to which we nod our heads, but really and truly by what we've said, what we did, what we failed to do, we won't receive the gospel of the forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake. We won't believe it. We won't be rooted in God's word, and we won't produce any fruit at all. We must be rendered helpless. Our lips must be silenced by God's law. We must be utterly weak, or Christ's power won't rest upon us. We must know that when we have failed to do what we promised to do, when we've lusted after what wasn't ours, when we cheated, lied, broke faith, and disobeyed, we embraced the religion of the father of lies, who said... And still says today, did God actually say? Dear saints, the devil is bound, but only by the gospel. Where the pure word of God does not hold sway, the devil is in charge. And by the way, Luther acknowledges this truth in the rite of baptism by including an exorcism. Prior to the sign of the cross being made over the one receiving holy baptism, he said, Therefore, depart unclean spirit and make room for the Holy Spirit in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Satan is allied with this world. Again, the Bible calls him the prince or ruler of this sinful world. He blinds the eyes of the influential. For example, this is very often seen among professors at public universities, liberal private universities, and liberal seminaries. It's really everywhere today. Many professors, especially if what they teach has to do with history or one of the sciences, are Bible doubters. And they think that the Bible is just one of many man-made religious texts, a relic of the past, which must be shaken off and explained away with false theories that are made to sound true in our ears. So very often, Bible-believing Christians are not hired to teach anything that may allow a chance for them to give witness to the truth of Holy Scripture. In contrast, university professors regularly attack the veracity, that is, the truthfulness of the Holy Scriptures. 
So then, many so-called biblical scholars who deny that the Bible is God's word then teach in universities and seminaries around the world, peddling their fancy-sounding theories which attack the reliability of the Bible as if their thoughts are sound biblical scholarship. Bible-believing scholars need not apply. Young people who are tested by this challenge to their faith, enamored with their Bible-doubting professors and wanting the approval of the in-crowd, all too often they fail the test. The faith that seems so vibrant is put to the test, and it fails the test. It had no root. Satan is also allied with our sinful flesh. He understands sin, and he should. He's the author of it. He knows what we care about. He knows what we treasure. He knows what gives us pleasure. He will spur our sinful nature to grasp as precious the junk treasures of the world, the things which are eternally worthless. He'll move us to worry about things that God has promised to provide and to seek pleasure in sins that will only bring us pain, bitterness, and emptiness in the end. The devil falsifies God's word. The world tempts us to deny it. Our sinful flesh chokes it by replacing it with the cares, riches, and pleasures of life. The devil, the world, and our sinful flesh are powerful enemies. But, dear saints, they are not almighty. God's word is. God joins himself to his word. Indeed, Jesus is the eternal word made flesh who who dwelt among us. You see, two words which we Christians know very well are faith and love. Faith receives God's word. Love acts on God's word. Faith holds on to God's love. It clings to it. The faith that holds on to God's love is the faith that is expressed in our love. So love is patient. It's steadfast. It stands and does not lie down. It is stubborn. It bears any burden. So then... Begs the question, where do we get this love? From the Word, the Word of God. When our hearts are cut by God's law and we see our weakness, spiritual poverty, and our rebellion, we cry out to God for help. Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. We want to be strong. We want to be good, strong Christians. And as we heard in the epistle, Jesus says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. We must be weak, then we are strong. The crucifixion of the Son of God appears as weakness. The good is defeated by the bad. The holy is shamed by the sinful. The humble is debased by the proud. That is what appears to be from our earthly eyes only, but that is not what is. When Jesus suffered and died for us, God's strength, his goodness, his victory, his true glory, these all were revealed. There we are washed clean of all our sin. Our sin is replaced with His righteousness. Our shame is removed and we are exalted up to heaven, lifted up with Him. Indeed, in the ascension of Christ, we see a foretaste of our own ascending to the Father to eternal glory forever in flesh and blood. You see, this is what the Word that is sown in our hearts tells us. We cling to it in faith. Day after day, week after week, year after year, until we die and we face our God and Lord, His Word sustains us in the one true faith. He feeds us His body and blood, even as He has washed us in the waters of holy baptism. From this faith in God's love, we are born again to love, born from above to love. 
Since Christ has borne our sins, we can bear with the sins of those with whom we live. Since God is patient with us, we can be patient with our brothers and sisters. Since we are forgiven by God's grace, through the blood shed by Christ on the cross, we can put the sins of others under that same blood and forgive them as we have been forgiven. This is how we keep God's word and bear fruit with patience. And we pray, may God grant it for the sake of Jesus and by the power of his spirit. And so we see then that for our journey through Lent and really all our lives, we need God's grace. And we receive it in his holy word. Let us gladly hear it, learn it, and hold it steadfast in our hearts, which he has cleansed by his blood and made honest and good. In the name of Jesus. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the living and active word of God, which gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater, that by it we may be sustained through every temptation and raised to newness of life, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the church, that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all Christians, that we would be preserved in the pure teaching of his saving word, whereby faith toward God is strengthened, charity increased in us toward all, and his kingdom extended in all the world. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the homes of God's people, that he would keep them from all harm and danger, and that we may dwell together in peace under the protection of his holy angels. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the nations of the world and their leaders, that all who receive the sword as God's servants would bear it according to his command, and that war, hate, and bloodshed would be overcome by peace, justice, and mercy. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the sick and suffering, especially Earl Brandt, John Mishlick, Pat Taney, Norma Horine, Charlotte Locke, Bob Rash, Chuck Lichty, Lisa Rash, and Ted Phillips, that they would know the peace this world cannot give, and that our loving Father would bring them out of their troubles. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. In thanksgiving for the faithful departed, that God would cultivate the seed of his word in our hearts until he brings us to share with them in the joys of his unending feast. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who participate in the sacrament of the altar, that God would strengthen and preserve us faithfully to receive Jesus' body and blood for the forgiveness of sins and so obtain everlasting life, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That God, who has planted his word in our hearts, would use it to bear abundant fruit in our lives, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have sown your holy word among us. Prepare our hearts by your Holy Spirit that we may diligently and reverently hear your word, keep it in good hearts, and bring forth fruit with patience, and that we may not incline to sin, but subdue it by your power, and in all persecutions comfort ourselves with your grace and continual help. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, again, good morning and welcome on this beautiful day which the Lord has given to us. As we look ahead at our schedule, um, first we'll cover what we're going on today and through the rest of the week here. 
Uh, of course, Sunday school and Bible study immediately following worship. This is coming Tuesday, uh, Trinity Classical Classroom beginning at 9. And then on Wednesday, uh, we have Lutheran Confession Study Group at 9 o'clock in the morning, followed then by midweek school and confirmation classes in the afternoon at 3.30. Workout class at 6, choir at 7. And then Thursday, also a busy evening as we have handbell choir and then also our quarterly voters meeting. Uh, so voters, please note that we do have that meeting this Thursday at 7.30. Uh, now, something that um, uh, I wanted to get in the bulletin that got kind of edged out by room here, we do have our first fundraiser for Higher Things coming up really pretty quickly. That's the Sweetheart Dinner on February 18th, and that's from 5 to 7 p.m. Uh, if you noticed in the newsletter, this is Trinitino's Italian Bistro. Uh, so the kids that are heading off to uh, Higher Things are going to be delighted to serve you that evening, and we'll be collecting a free will offering uh, as part of the meal. So please bring your sweetheart and enjoy some fine dinner and fine service there from our youth. Um, looking ahead into the week, again, just don't forget we have handbell practice. I know the handbell choir already knows that, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, also, we've got the used high chairs available. So we have those three that have been uh, graciously donated, then the others that we have that are just hanging in there. And so if you know anybody that, uh, that would uh, make good use of those, please contact Bonnie. She'd be happy to help you. Again, Ash Wednesday service uh, coming up also very quickly, Wednesday, February 14th. Uh, so uh, service with communion will be at 545 that evening. Uh, and then also if you have anything that you'd like to give to Jim and Patty Cheney as they're continuing their care packages, please drop that in the library. Anything that I may have missed? All right, seeing nothing, uh, go as those who have received uh, the seed of the word, which is able to make you wise into salvation and even has accomplished that according to the Lord's will. We give thanks and praise to God for his grace and mercy given to us in his word for the sake of his son, Jesus Christ. I'll greet you at the door.